Tonight, we are looking at John 8. We are looking at the topic of freedom. Freedom in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite stories in American history involves tea and the Boston Tea Party. When, if you remember, a ragtag group of American revolutionaries dressed up like Indians in protest to taxation without representation, they stormed the Boston Harbor, they took hold of the imported tea, and they cast it overboard. And in doing that, that in that moment, as they filled that harbor full of tea and the smell of tea, we thumbed our noses at our English forebears by, by ruining their tea. Because what could be more English than a spot of tea, right? We did that. Now that took place, if you know your history, that took place in 1773. And it wasn't that much after that, 1776, July 4th, that we actually threw down the gauntlet, declaring our independence, and we ratified that decision with this this document, the seminal document in American history, the Declaration of Independence. This is where Americans base their freedom upon. Their, this, this is where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is codified and immortalized for the American people. Now, here's my question as it relates to John 8. If that's what freedom from Mother England looks like, let me change the script for you. What does freedom in Christ look like? Is that different from freedom from Mother England? Is, is the Christian life and freedom in Christ all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? I want to explore that tonight because I think there's some confusion in this place, this passage where Jesus says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How do we differentiate between our political freedom as Americans and the spiritual freedom that we have in, as Christians? Maybe this will help. One pastor said this, and I have found this quotation to be, to be really fruitful. He says, on the one hand, the birthday of America is Independence Day. That's what we celebrate. But the birthday of a Christian is your Dependence Day, not your Independence Day. The birthday of America was the day we achieved self-rule. The birthday of a Christian is the day you relinquish self-rule. The day you became a Christian, it's not your Independence Day. It's your Dependence Day. That's actually the point of this message. That's actually the point of John 8, verses 21 through 38. And I, I think it's an important corrective in our day because I, I think there's a lot of people out there that think that freedom, freedom, all just, that just means doing any crazy thing that I want to do at any time. And for those of you who've tried to live your life like that, for, for what we're seeing in our community right now that embraces that kind of liberty or freedom, that doesn't lead to freedom. It actually leads to another kind of bondage. What, what they're really describing in a lot of ways when people talk about freedom as like freedom to do anything I want to do at any time is actually a kind of anarchy. And, and we're drifting that direction as a nation and I think Christians sometimes get caught up in that as well, that, that freedom is somehow irrespective of our submission to Christ Jesus, and that's not the way that it's framed in the New Testament. The message today is entitled Freedom in Christ, and in order to help us get a handle on what freedom in Christ really is, we're going to 
We're going to look at John 8, 21 through 38. And can we do this? I know you just got seated. You're comfortable now. Can we stand together for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to read from start to finish. John 8, verses 21 through 38. Church of God, this is the Word of God. So he, Jesus, said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Lord, I pray that you give us knowledge, insight to your word right now. Help us to, to hear, receive, and apply these precious words. God, may we be doers, not hearers, only of your word. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So let's talk freedom in Christ. When I say freedom in Christ, what do I mean by that? And you might answer that by saying, freedom from what? Freedom in Christ means freedom from what? What are we freed from? That's a good question. I'll give you four things tonight. You can write these down in your notes. Here's the first thing. Freedom in Christ means freedom from death. It means freedom from death, that you don't have to die. And you might say, that's, that's pie in the sky talk, Pastor Tony. We got to die. We all got to die. Yes, but I'm not talking about physical death, and Jesus isn't alluding to physical death here. He's talking about spiritual death in verses 21 through 24. He's talking about eternal death. Jesus says, verse 21, and he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. You will seek the Messiah even though I'm already here in the flesh. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Now, look, I know I'm just dropping you into a context today, so let me just set it up a little bit. John 8, this is that, 
that part of Jesus' ministry and that season in Israel where they had the Feast of Tabernacles, otherwise referred to as the Feast of Booths. And this feast followed the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and it was celebrated by people occupying these homemade booths or these homemade tabernacle tents. And what they would do is they would go into these tents and they would remember they would remember their wilderness wandering and how the Lord took care of them and how the, the pillar of light, remember that from the Old Testament, led them in the wilderness. Well, it was during this, this Feast of Tabernacles when they're thinking about this and dwelling on this that Jesus shows up, John 8, verse 12, and says, I am the light of the world. What did he mean by that? That, that pillar that led you in the wilderness, that's me. I am the light of the world. Obviously, there's more than just, I was that pillar. He's saying, I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. I'm the light that leads you to life. Now, he's, he's continuing that argument at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's continuing to draw people in this feast to himself as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He's the Messiah they've been, they've been waiting for. But, of course, the religious leaders aren't buying what he's selling. And, and they're giving him all kinds of grief over this. And John 8 gets really heated. We're not going to get to the, the, really, the really elevated parts at the end of chapter 8. But even at this point, they're, they're, there's a lot of back and forth, and there's a lot of anger as they're, they're responding to what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin where I am going, that is to the throne room of God the Father, you cannot come, you will not come in your current state, the eternal dwelling of God. Where I am going, you cannot come because of the sin and the unbelief in your heart. So the Jews say, verse 22, which and this might strike you as kind of odd, will he kill himself? What? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Basically what they're saying is that he's going to hell. Is that, is that why we can't follow him? In fact, some Jews in this day believed that the worst places in hell were reserved for those people who committed suicide, for those people who killed themselves. So I think there's some sarcasm here with the way that they're saying this. Is he going to kill himself? Is that why he's saying we can't go where he's going? Jesus responds. You feel the, you feel the intensity of this, this little back and forth? Jesus says to them, you are from below. <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, 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 listen. You are from hell, not me. Below, now that's a euphemism Jesus is using here for the abode of Satan. And it's, it's not literally below the earth or in the earth. It's the place where God places his enemies and keeps them out of his presence. Below, you might even add the, the realm of the earth where Satan has at least for a time authority given over to him as the prince of the, the prince of darkness, prince of the power of the air. And what Jesus is saying here, not so kindly, by the way, is that these Jesus opposers are in step with Satan. They're so in sync with God's enemy, Satan, Jesus is saying it's, it's as if you belong to them. And actually, if you read all the way to the end of this passage, it's, it's more explicit than that in terms of their parentage. We'll get to that in just a second. I am from above, Jesus says. You are of this world. I am not of this world. You know, think back to the beginning of John. 
and how this book opens up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all of that Trinitarian theology that's so beautiful and so precise and that, that hones our, our, our theology, our theological understanding of the Trinity, that's, that's all wrapped up in this statement here with what Jesus is saying. I'm not of this world. I created this world. I came into this world, of course. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am the end. That, that he, if you have an ESV Bible, all the versions have it. I checked this afternoon. There's no he. And I, I would just assume, prefer that they take it out. Because it makes sense to me. If, if you know the Old Testament, it makes sense. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Are you all tracking? What, what's that sound like? Sounds like Exodus 3, doesn't it? Sounds like I am who I am. God revealing himself to Moses. Jesus couldn't possibly be saying that he's that. Or is he? I'll come back to that in just a moment, but... The refrain here, even apart from that, is important as well. Look, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. How many times has Jesus said that already in verses 21 through 24? You will die in your sins, verse 24. You will die in your sins. He says it twice in verse 24. Also, verse 21, you will die in your sin, singular. And I think the singular in verse 21 is the sin of unbelief. The sins of verse 24 is everything else. Either way, all it takes is one sin to make you a sinner. You're going to die in your sins because of your unbelief, because of your sinfulness. It separates you from the holy, the holy God of the universe. You have no hope. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sin. That's the theme of these first few verses. Now, incidentally, let me just ask you all a question. Let's step out of the story for a moment. Let's step out of this little argument between Jesus and the religious leaders. And, and let me ask you, okay? We live in San Antonio, Texas. It's a dangerous place. We get run off the road pretty regularly here. On your way home, get into a car wreck. Are you going to die in your sins, people? Are you? Let me ask it differently. Let me ask it positively. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? That means that your sins won't be held against you for eternity, allowing you to escape eternal death forever? Yeah. That was authoritative back there. Nice. Good. Jesus is creating here with these unbelievers, with people who are rejecting him, is a sense of need. You are in your sins, people. And I have come as the one who existed in eternity past to make a way for you to escape your sins. Now, I heard, I heard some positive statements out there about the fact that you won't die in your sins, and that's good. I, I can't speak for everybody in this room. I can't speak for everybody who might be watching online right now. And you need to wrestle with that. And some people might object by saying, you know, I got lots of time, Pastor Tony. It's not time to worry about that just yet. Well, I'm a preacher, so I, I'm here to tell you, you might not have that much time. And you're not promised another day. I just read recently about a guy in his early 20s, Christian young man, praise the Lord, who died of a heart attack playing football. 21, 22 years old. Nobody saw that coming. 
Who dies at 21 years old of a heart attack? It happens. That never happens, Pastor. It happens. You're not promised another day. I'm not, and I'm not here as a fear monger. I'm not a fear monger. I'm a faith monger. Put your faith in Christ. And then you don't have to fear death. And then you don't have to fear the consequences of your sins forever, no matter how old you are. And you can actually have freedom in Christ that means freedom from death, eternal death. Everybody with me? Write this down as number two. So freedom in Christ means freedom from death. I would even say this, it means freedom from the fear of death. But it also means this, number two, freedom in Christ means freedom from ignorance. It means freedom from ignorance. And when I say ignorance, let me qualify that. Ignorance concerning God's plan of salvation. There are a lot of incredibly knowledgeable people out there. I talked about this this last Sunday in terms of worldly wisdom and worldly knowledge. There are people that are knowledgeable in the world of science, in the world of business, in the world of politics, in in the world of sports, but they are ignorant about God's plan of salvation. So I'm, I'm zeroing in on that kind of ignorance. Even the Jewish leaders that, that Jesus is talking to, I mean, these were intelligent, powerful men, but, but their learning failed them. They were learned men. They even knew the Old Testament, but their pride got in the way of their faith. And so here's what Jesus says to them. Look at verse 25. So first they said to him, to Jesus, who are you? And, and that only really makes sense if, if Jesus said, I am dot, 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 right? Ellipsis. There's no, where's the end of that statement? Jesus didn't want an ending. So Jesus says, I am, and they're like, who are you? You know, finish the sentence. And he doesn't do it. Jesus says, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am what? I am who? Who are you? I am, I am, is what Jesus is saying here. And you might say, that, that's a stretch, Pastor Tony. Is it? That's a lot of I am statements in John. And in fact, if you keep on reading, we don't have time to get to it today, but John 8, 58, one of the great passages that really affirms the deity of Christ. If you ever have you know, JWs or others who come over and say, you know, Jesus never said he was God, you can take them to John 8, 58. And say, oh, yes, he did. And it's there where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And the, even the people Jesus was arguing with at that point, they knew what he was saying. Because they picked up stones to throw at him. Because in their minds, that's blasphemy. And, of course, it would be blasphemy unless it was true. If I said it up here, it would be blasphemy. But for Jesus, by the way, this isn't in my notes, but i, I got to say this. Don't let people corner you into the Jesus was just a good man argument. Jesus doesn't give you that option. Either Jesus is who he says he was or he's crazy. You you can't have, well, Jesus is just a good man. No, he's, he's either God or he's something awful. In the words of C.S. Lewis, liar, lunatic, or Lord, he's got to be one of those. All right, let's get back on track here. For unless you believe that I am, Jesus says, you will die in your... Who are you? They're, they're a little slow. They figure this out later, but they're not sure what he's saying here yet. 
Jesus said to them, verse 25, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. It's fascinating to me, as you read the book of John, how Jesus, speaking of that Trinitarian theology, he's, I and the Father, we're together, we're working together, but we're separate. He sends me, so you see their separateness, but then their togetherness. It's, it's the doctrine of the Trinity, that all three persons are God, and yet they're distinct. And, and that just kind of flows all the way throughout the book of John, and we see that here. Jesus said earlier, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Another thing that Jesus is doing is saying you can't divide me and my Father. Like, I like God the Father, and I want Him, but the Son, I'm, I'm just not down with the Son. Jesus doesn't allow for that. To know the Father is to know Him. To know Him is to know the Father. It's a package deal when it comes to the Trinity. They don't even know who Jesus is speaking of here as the Father. Later, they get, the, they get God the Father mixed up with Father Abraham. That's how confused and unknowledgeable they are about God. That's how their, their pride and their ignorance, their bondage to those things have, have kept them from understanding. They did not understand, verse 27, that he had been speaking to them about the Father. There is a sense in which also... That, that understanding, deep understanding, true understanding proceeds from faith. The church father, Augustine, he said this, and he actually said this about this particular passage. He said, this, this is a very famous statement, credo ut intelligam. Why don't y'all try that out? Let's say that together. Credo ut intelligam. My, my son's been taking Latin at this school, and I ask him these questions sometimes, like, what does this mean? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, why am I paying for you to take Latin if you don't know this? Cradled intelligum. It means I believe in order to understand. And Augustine, part of his theology worked out from this is that your, your ignorance, the ignorance of these religious leaders right here is because it, 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 it flows from a lack of faith from a lack of knowing and embracing and believing who Jesus is. And Jesus, Jesus takes them to a place they can't even get to yet. Look at verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, what, what does that mean? He's, he's referring to his crucifixion. He's talking about, you're, you're going to put me on a cross and I'm going to die. Jesus said that already in John 3. He said, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is coming back to that. He's no, he knows he's going to die. He knows he was sent to die. He knows that his death is going to pay the way for people's sins, but they're not aware of that. They're not tracking with him. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that, here it is again, I am. I am he, Pastor Tony. No, that he's not there. It's not there. I am. Wow, that's an amazing statement. Early in Jesus' ministry. And also, not only I am, but I do, verse 28, nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. It's fascinating. Jesus, God of the universe, Yahweh of the Old Testament, and yet there's still 
God the Father, God the Son. And God the Son is taking directives from God the Father. That is, that is so rich theologically. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying not to nerd out here. And he who sent me, verse 29, is with me. <laughs> he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. There's a, an oblique allusion here to the cross, if you're paying attention. God the Father sent God the Son to the cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And if you... There's a sense in which with the Gospels, you, you always read with the end in mind. The cross is coming, and with the cross comes the resurrection. But the, you get these little glimpses of Jesus pointing forward, and that's what he does right here. A few years ago, Sonia and I were in London, and we were traveling around that city, you know, Mother England, which I insulted earlier, with, which I love. And we did that kind of double-decker bus tour, which is really fun. You get to see all the famous sites. And one of the things that they say in London is, you know, find your way to Trafalgar Square, and then you can find yourself, find anywhere else in the city. And that's kind of the central point of the city. But historically, as I have read, it wasn't actually Trafalgar Square, which was the center. It was this place instead called Charing Cross, and there, there actually used to be a cross erected just south of Trafalgar Square in central London. And it was said that you could find your, your way home anywhere in London from Charing Cross. If you, if you could find your way there, then you could find your way home, whichever direction, north, south, east, or west. In fact, there's a, a famous story that's told about this, this police officer that they call a Bobby who came across a kid who was crying and... The kid had gotten lost somewhere in London, which you can imagine that's surely easy to do. So this police officer says, can I take you home? And the little boy says, no, just, just take me to the cross and I'll find my way home. And he, of course, was referring to Charing Cross, but boy, that means more to our ears than just what he says. Take me to the cross and I'll find my way home. There's a sense in which us, even those of us who are saved, and, and especially those who are in a state of lostness, what's the way home? What's the way to truth? What's the way forward? Take me to the cross and I'll find my way home. I have found that to be true even in, in my dark moments of uncertainty. And, and I, I feel whatever, just that, that struggle in my soul with assurance of salvation and and I, I remember that story, and I remember that verbiage. Take me to the cross, and I'll find my way home. From that point, we can see God's love for us, the direction of our lives, what he's called us to, what he's done for us. Write this down as number three. Freedom in Christ means freedom from death. It means freedom from ignorance. It also means freedom from error. So as he was saying these things, many believed in him, verse 30, which is fascinating to me. So Jesus is having this heated argument and 
people are listening and people are believing. And, and I, and I want to, when I first read that, I want to say, hallelujah, someone finally understands. But it's qualified a little bit. And there's actually the, the intimation that maybe this believing is, could be a kind of false believing for some. Because look what Jesus says about that in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Man. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's, that's an amazing statement right there. It's both, I love how Jesus can encourage you, but warn you at the same time. He just has a way with words. And that's what this is. This is both encouragement and warning. He's saying, okay, you believe? Let me just tell you right now, faith, true faith, doesn't run away from me. True faith perseveres. True faith endures. True faith is a lifetime of following me. Not just a momentary flash in the pan of, I believe something he said back when. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And, you know, at this point, I really want to dwell on that a little bit and, and talk about the nature of how our salvation inevitably produces works and love for the church and, and all these other things. But we just worked through 1 John, so you guys know all that already. In other words, real faith produces the fruit of our faith. And I, it's, in other words, it's a truth embracing faith. It's an, it's an ignorance rejecting faith. It's a fruit producing kind of faith. Let me, I'm not going to dwell too long in this, but let me just give you some sub points. What does it mean, this, this faith in Christ? Verse 31, 32. If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. Four things, A, B, C, and D. Write these down. Faith in Christ means following Christ. It means following. Yeah, Pastor Tony, I'm, I'm one of those Christians that doesn't follow Christ. No, you're not. You might as well be the tooth fairy or the abominable snowman. Those things don't exist. And, and what Jesus is doing there is he's connecting the two. Faith in Christ means a journey. I mean, what are we called in the New Testament? We're called disciples. We're growing as disciples. A disciple is a learner. You, you follow, you serve, you look. And, and I think this is important in terms of our relationship with one another and, and how we discern the genuineness of other people's faith, because I, I don't know. I, I don't know as a pastor everybody's faith. I can't cut you open and look at your heart and say, oh, yeah, that's he believes. I can tell. I can't do that. We were talking in our small group this last week on Sunday. It's, it would be great if the elect, so to speak, had little green check marks over their head and the non-elect had like a red X. So I, I would know oh, that, well, that person's elect. Right? I got it. God doesn't do that for us. So I, I, can't, I can't look into your heart. I can't see the genuineness of your faith. You know what I can see, though? I can see you're following Christ. I can see your commitment. I can see your fruit. I can see you going to church. I can see you worshiping. I can see you studying the Bible. I can see you turning away from sin. I can see you loving the brothers, as we see in 1 John. So I'm a follower of Christ. That I use that language all the time. I'm a follower of Christ. 
That's what it means to be a believer. Jesus said, this is chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Write this down under B. Faith in, by, faith in Christ means abiding in Christ and abiding in His Word. It means abiding in Christ. I mean, I, I could spend a lot of time on that too, but again, we looked at that at First John. So, y'all got it. And, and let me just ask some probing questions on that. Where do you run to when life gets hard? Who do you look to when, when trials and challenges come into your life? Do you run to Jesus? Do you run to the truths of His Word? Do you find your identity in Him? Or do you find your identity in some other thing or some other person's opinion of you? I think it was Elizabeth Elliot who said, identity is not about who you are, but whose you are. It's about whose you, you are, who you belong to. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Write this down under D. Faith in Christ means truth embracing freedom. People in our world say, independence will set me free. Actually, it won't. People say, following self will set me free. It won't. People describe freedom as a kind of throw-off-the-shackles autonomy. I can just now serve myself. Anybody who has actually tried to do that in your life, you know that doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to bondage. And not only that, it leads to misery. I don't want to follow myself. I don't want to find truth in myself. There's got to be somewhere better than myself to find truth and freedom. And there is, and his name is Jesus. And that's what sets us free. I mean, there's, there's kind of a, a, a counterintuitive notion to it. In serving Christ, you find true freedom. Here's what Augustine said this way. Read this on the screen. Freedom occurs, real freedom, when we delight in the law of the Lord, for freedom gives you joy. As long as you do what is right out of fear, you will find no delight in God. Find your delight in Him and you are free. I've, no, I've known that to be true. I don't, sometimes I can't even articulate why that's true, but I know it's true. D.A. Carson writes this, True freedom is not found in the liberty to do anything we please, but in the liberty, the liberty to do what we ought. And it is genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. One of the best songs ever written, the truest songs ever written, was a song by Bob Dylan. And it was a song entitled, You Gotta Serve Somebody. Y'all heard that song before? And, and I think it's a great song, and I think it's a true song. You've you got to serve somebody. In fact, I would say that the, the human heart, we were made to worship. We were made to serve something. And if we don't serve Christ, if we don't serve the God of the universe, we'll find some lousy substitute, even if it's ourselves. I'll just serve myself. Yeah, great. You've got to serve somebody. And... Jesus doesn't say freedom is having no master. 
Jesus says freedom is having the right master. You're going to have a master. And what you want is you want a master who loves you. You want a master who saves you. You want a master who bled for you, who came and died on a cross for your sin. You're going to serve somebody. I don't know about you, but I'm going to serve Christ. Because of what he has done for me and because what, of what he makes me. And counterintuitively in that service to Christ, there's freedom. Are you all with me? You all know what I'm talking about? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's write this down as number four. One more thing. Freedom in Christ means also freedom from sin. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. <laughs> And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we, you will become free? It's, it's ironic that they say that because what's the most famous incident in the Old Testament involving the Jews? Egypt. And what were they in Egypt? They were slaves. Oh, I forgot about that one. Of course they've been slaves. And it wasn't just in Egypt, you know as well as I do, that they, you know, they were enslaved by Babylon, I think you said too, Blanca. They, they served Greece, they served Rome, they served Syria, they served even their own masters when they weren't serving anybody else. That's what makes this so ironic. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Yeah, you have. And Jesus says, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You know the truth that it will set you free. That's, you know, that we are free. No, you're not. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practice, practices sin is a slave to sin. I mean, the idea here, it, it's not really about political slavery. It's about spiritual slavery. And he's saying, if you've committed a sin, if, you've, if you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. Anybody in here in the room... Y'all ever sinned before? According to Jesus, you're a slave to sin. If you're a sin, all it takes is one. So you better have a remedy for that. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Jesus, he's changing the metaphor here. And I, I really, everybody, let me read verse 35 again. I... I know, a few, I know one of the people that did the ESV Bible and translated it, and uh, I try not to disagree with it too much, but I think the son in verse 35 should be capitalized. So I'm not, I'm not going to, we're not recording this, are we? I mean, I'm not going to make a big fuss about it, but I think it should be a capital S. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son Whenever there's a definite article in Greek, in John, more often than not, at least what I've found, is that it's capital S, Son. Jesus is talking about himself. The Son remains forever. But here's, here's, the, 
here's where I think Jesus is going with this. And I think it's not just the capital S son, but the, the little s sons, you and me in this room, that this applies to. The son sets us free. The son sets us free from slavery so that we might become shocking the sons of God, the children of God. Boy, you better have a verse for that, Pastor Tony. I do. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus even said it early in John 1, 12, But to all who did receive him, Christ, who believed in his name, Christ, he gave the right to become the children of God. So there's actually one, another place here where you have these two options. You can be a slave or a son. You can be enslaved to your sin, or as part of the inheritance, you can belong to the son. Those are the options set before you. And that's why he says, verse 26, and, and, or verse 36, all of that context feeds into verse 36 which sometimes just gets kind of stripped out of its context and just paraded in front of the world like it's a truth unto itself. All of that goes into this great statement in verse 36. So if the Son, there's that capital S, if He sets you free, you will be free, free indeed. Free from death, free from ignorance, free from error, free from sin, Free from self. Oh, God, give me freedom for myself. If the Son sets you free, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You will be free indeed. Y'all free? Y'all have this freedom? Jesus says in verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, that you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Ouch. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Who's the father? That's not a capital F, father. So is he talking about Father Abraham? No, he's not. And it's clear, those of you who read just below there, the reference there to your father is your father the devil, which... I mean, that's, that's what you call escalating the intensity of the conversation. And that doesn't even surprise you all that much because we read in 1 John 3, 4 that there is this choice between child of God and child of the devil. We went through that in 1 John. And, and I very crassly titled that sermon, Paternity Test. Do you all remember that? And, and that was in 1 John. It's almost like the same guy who wrote 1 John wrote this gospel. It's almost like he was listening when Jesus was talking and wrote it down for us. Okay, I'll close with this. Freedom, 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 freedom. I want to close with freedom. I want to talk about freedom. I want to emphasize the truth about freedom. And so I'm going to, I'm going to jump on a soapbox until till I'm done. Here's why I think this message is so important for us today, because... This concept of freedom in Christ, it, it just it it gets forsaken, or it 
the idea of freedom gets wrapped up in this idea of just do whatever your heart desires. That's where you find freedom. It's like the gospel according to Star Wars, you know. It's found in your feelings. Luke, just, you know, trust your feelings. Luke, don't, don't trust your feelings, people. And here's, here's why trusting your feelings, here's why searching for freedom in yourself and just doing whatever you want to do leads to freedom. Here's why that doesn't lead to freedom. Here's the problem with that. I don't know about you, but I got feelings, and my feelings conflict with, with them each other. They're incongruent. I got feelings over here, and these feelings over here don't correlate with these feelings over here. So when the world tells you, just trust your feelings, don't just trust your feelings, that's the way to, to truth, that's the way to freedom. I don't know which feelings to trust. I don't know which way to go. And I, you, might, you sound crazy, Tony. All of us have this. I'll give you an example. I desire, I have feelings, and, and I want to live a healthy life, and I want to eat healthy, and I want to lose weight. I have these desires. But I got these other feelings, and these other desires, I want to eat ice cream. And can I say it stronger than that? I want to eat a lot, a lot of ice cream. Some days, that's all I want to do is just sit at home and eat ice cream. So I look to the world, and they're like, Tony, you just follow your feelings. You just follow your desires. Which one? Which one do I follow? Because you can't put both of those together. Now, if a doctor comes to me, maybe some of y'all are doctors, I assume, you come up to me and say, Tony, well, here's your problem. Let me give you the truth. If you just sit around and eat ice cream all day and you follow those feelings, you'll, you'll get sick, you'll die early, you'll be unhealthy. This is the truth, and, and I want to give you the truth so you'll be set free. Only an idiot would take that advice and say, get behind me, doctor. I'm, I'm going to follow my feelings because I've got freedom in Christ Jesus. Are you all with me? All right, let me stay on my soapbox a little bit longer. But let me up the ante a little bit, because ice cream is kind of silly. Let's talk about adultery. Do I have your attention? I think there's something inside of us, part of our feelings, part of our desires. This is, this is us being made in the image of God, that we want to have healthy, loving, committed marriages. I even think in a twisted way that's part of the whole drive for same-sex marriage in our country. But, of course, they're going about that the wrong way. So there's that desire inside of all of us. There's also the desire in all of us for sin, to cheat, to have sex outside of marriage. And if you don't believe that, then you're naive about yourself, that you don't have the desire for that or the capacity for that. It's part of our sin. And, and so... You know, we. I want to have a faithful, loving, godly marriage. I also, there's something inside of me that wants a little harmless flirtation, a little something on the side that my wife never finds out about. And I look to the world and I say, I got these desires, I got these feelings. What do they tell you? Just follow your heart, Tony. Just do whatever comes naturally. That is horrible advice. Which will lead, does that lead to freedom? No, that leads to the worst kind of bondage. 
that leads to an enslavement to your own lust, your own desires, your own sinfulness. It leads to the destruction of families. So I'm really indebted to Tim Keller for this, helping me process this. This has been one of the greatest insights I've had just thinking through this concept of freedom. What do I do with all these desires? What do I do with this, this yearning for this and that? Jesus says the way that you find freedom, true freedom, is that you go to the truth, and the truth sets you free. Let's go back to the, the analogy or the reality of adultery. Jesus says by his word that marriage is best when it's between one man and it's one woman for as long as you both shall live. That's the truth. And wouldn't you know it, in the embrace of that, which maybe the world says, well, you're shackling yourself. In the embrace of that truth, what Jesus did and what he created and what he offered us, there is, in the goodness of that, a greater freedom than this world understands or even has access to. And let me say it this way, in Jesus' words, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You go to the truth. You go to the truth source. And fill in for adultery any other sin, any other desire, any other thing that's, that's vying for your heart. How do, you, how do you get freedom? How do you find freedom? How do you search for freedom? How do you live with freedom? You go to the truth. You go to the truth of its, his word. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you have freedom in Christ? Freedom from death? Freedom from ignorance? Freedom from error? Freedom from sin? Do you have that? If you don't, then go to the Son, because if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Pray with me. Lord, there are so many voices in my head there's so many competitors vying for my heart, my affections, my, my desires, my feelings are all over the place, Lord. And I think that's all a part of our human condition. We're made in the image of God, but we are, we are fallen creatures. We are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And Lord, we, we resist the goodness of your word. We resist the truth. We see examples of that in the scriptures right here with these religious leaders. God, in your goodness, you have provided for us such marvelous freedom, freedom from 
from death, freedom from sin, freedom from ignorance. Lord, we long for that. So I want to pray, Lord, over this entire church. It it seems clear to me that most here know freedom from death, freedom from sin, the freedom that they have in Christ Jesus that leads to eternal life. But Lord, help us, I pray, to walk daily in the truth of your word that leads to freedom. Freedom from sexual sin and its consequences. Freedom from selfish desires and its consequences. Freedom from idolatry and its consequences. Lord, protect us from from the bondage that sometimes too easily characterizes Christian lives. Lord, I pray for our hearts as well, the people who are here listening. God, give us us an ever-present, continuous hunger for your truth the truth of your word. And Lord, we long for the day when when true freedom will be experienced, where the struggle will be over, where Lord, we will live in the goodness of your presence forever. Lord, hasten that, that day, I pray the day of your coming and the day when this this fight with ourselves will be over. In the meantime, Lord, help us, Holy Spirit, help us, Lord. Guide our lives. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.